continue in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it's going to be kind of a slow burn through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and today we're going to look at hallowing the name. Hallowing the name. Before we do that, let me play a little name association. So I'm going I'm to pop some names up here and let's see what comes to mind when you, when you see these names. What's, what comes to mind here? Smart? Yeah. Like Jay, right? <laughs> Smart. Hair like Mike. How about this one? What's the word? Compassionate? Yeah, think of compassionate. Regardless of what you think about her theology, she's very compassionate. How about this one? Not good, right? Huh? Yeah. Bad miss. How about this one? I think Christmas, right? But he sang a lot more than Christmas songs, right? But the, in my mind, the quintessential... Christmas album is the Nat King Cole. How about this one? Microsoft, yeah. A lot of money, maybe. I'll be interested in this next one if you guys get this one. What's this? What does this name remind you of? Apple. Apple iPhones, right? What you used. How about this one? Yeah, the back of a bus. I think of courage. I think of the amazing courage. Uh, that she displayed, courageous, right? So with each one of those names, whether it's good or bad, right, there's something that came to mind based on, what, based on their character, their accomplishments, perhaps their reputation, right? So there's more than just, it's more than just a name. And as we look at hallowing the name, and we look at the name of God, right, the name of God is not a combination of the letters G-O-D, the name stands for the person who bears it his character, and his activity. The name of God is much more than, than the letters there. And so as we look at the text today, we're going to look at verse 9, and let's go ahead and read the entire Lord's Prayer. And again, in the NIV, as with most modern translations, uh, the very last part of the Lord's Prayer is not there, as it is in the King James. We'll talk about that at, at the end. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. We looked at that last week. What a privilege it is to be able to call God our Father. That we have exclusive, uh, uh, exclusivity in the presence of the Father because He is our Father and we are His child. But because He is our Father and He's also the creator and sustainer of the universe, His unlimited power and resources, we can come with confidence to God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowing the name. There's so much in the name of God, right? If you think about the names of God in the Bible, the name Yahweh, such a, a sacred name that those who copied the Old Testament, the, the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, the scribes, they, they didn't even want to mention the name Yahweh. Right? So they came up with another name, Jehovah, which is the consonants from Yahweh and the vowel points from Adonai. That the Father that we pray to is the eternally self-existent one. He is the covenant maker. He is the covenant keeper. But he's also Elohim. He's the creator. He's the one who created everything out of nothing in six 
days. He is the one from whom we derive our life, and he is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is Adonai. He is almighty. He is El Shaddai. He is completely omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He is almighty. He is El Shaddai. And this one who is almighty is our provider, right? He's, he's Yahweh. I always want to say Jehovah Jireh. It sounds better than Yahweh Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. This one who provides is our healer as well. Yahweh Rapha. He is the holy God. He is separate from all that is sinful. And because he is holy, we are the beneficiaries of his Amazing, perfect goodness. His name means righteousness. He is not only righteous, he is our righteousness. And he alone can give us the peace that we so long for, the peace that we desire. That wholeness, that wellness, that completeness that sin destroys. Only God can restore that. His name is peace. And if you feel deserted and all alone in this world, he is the God who sees you. He is the present one. I mentioned this last week of Hagar, the maidservant, in the wilderness. This beautiful picture of a forsaken maidservant whom God sees. God sees the least and the lowly. His name means God who sees. Elroy. He's also the one who leads us. He is the shepherd He is guiding us through life. Psalm 23. And he will guide us to the end powerfully because he is a mighty warrior and he will be victorious over all of his enemies and he will usher in his kingdom. So when we look at the name of God, there's much more than just Father, which is beautiful, right? Father is something we appreciate. Father is something we love because we can come to him and we know of fathers who love us and care for us and take care of us And we can pray to him as a father. But you know what the greatest name of God is? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He is the king who saves. He is Emmanuel. He's wonderful counselor, prince of peace, lord of life. He is the light of the world, the bread of life. He is the word of God, the son of man, the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is the king of kings. All of this is wrapped up in the name of God. So the name of God should be hallowed. It should be preeminent above every other name that there is. And so, as we look at this passage and we look at this phrase, hallowed be your name, we want to know that as we pray, and this is the first request, right? We're addressing the Father, our Father in heaven. First request, hallowed be your name. And in that we mean that we want to pray that the world around us would know the greatness and the goodness of God. This is the foundation of all our prayers. God, may your greatness and your goodness be displayed in the world through me, through the circumstances in my life, through the circumstances of the world. God, may your greatness and goodness be displayed. So as we look at the text itself, and we look at that word hollow, that's not just something, we don't use that very often. Hallowed. It's just not a word we use. It surprises me that the NIV uses it. But what does it mean to hallow? Well, it means to make known, acknowledged, and honored as 
as holy. There's something distinct about the name of God. There's something preeminent about the name of God, such that the name of God should be manifest as set apart and preeminent in the world like no other name. It shouldn't be profaned in vulgarity, in common language as you interact with your friends. It grieves me to hear the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ, thrown around in expletives. The name of God should be hallowed and set apart as holy. This is not just new to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? In the book of Deuteronomy, we read this. You were shown these things, and God is writing this to the children of Israel before they enter into the promised land. Look, you're entering to a land of of many gods. There's only one God. I am that God. I rescued you from Egypt. There is no other God besides me. I'm the one who worked all the miracles in the wilderness. There is no other God beside me. I am capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E. I am Yahweh, the covenant maker, covenant keeper. I created you. Besides me, there is no other. And then in verse 39, acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord God in heaven above is, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. He is our heavenly Father. There is no other. He is hallowed. He is preeminent. He is distinct. He is set apart. He is holy. For Sol- as Solomon was dedicating the temple. And he's praying, he says this, so that all the people of, peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. This is the purpose of your existence in this world is that all the world would know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. That is the purpose of your existence. Hallowed be your name. So when we pray this prayer to God, it is first request. When we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're asking God to act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory into the world. God, be glorified in my life, in my circumstances. God, be glorified in the church. God, be glorified in the circumstances of this world today. I like to know what it means to glorify God. It means to give praise to God, verbally, but also in how you exist. So as we look at God's character, all that makes up his name, all these things, that list there, you've seen this list before. The attributes on the top are the attributes of God's greatness. The ones on the bottom beginning of truth are the attributes of God's goodness. God can only be good because he's great. Because he's great, he's good. And he's all of these perfectly, and he never deviates from the perfection of his attributes. That is his holiness. He is never less than perfect than all that he is. And the display of God's holiness into the world as it's manifest to the world is his glory. And so when you're praying... Hallowed be your name. You're praying, God, I want all that you are and the perfection of who you are to be displayed and manifest to the world today in me, through me, through the circumstances of my life, through my hurts, through my good times, through my bad times, through my trials. I want you, God, I want your name to be hallowed. 
So again, hallowing the name, asking God to hallow his name is asking God to act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness, glory like no other. What does that look like? Jesus came to show us, right? Aren't you so glad? And the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. You don't know what it means to glorify God, to manifest God into the world. Jesus is it, right? That's the easy answer. What's the question? The answer, Jesus. Jesus is the answer. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The truth that reveals the glory of God to us. So, it sounds easy enough, right? I can do that. I can put that in my prayer. There shouldn't be any problem with that. But how do we typically pray? When we come before God in prayer, what are the things that we typically pray for as Christians? Now, again, as I get started, these aren't bad things. These are good things. There's things that are important, and there's things that are really, really important. And there is the most important, which is what we're talking about today. But as we pray, we pray for things like health of our family and our friends, God's guidance in life, love, peace, happiness, finances, that's a biggie, jobs, exams, personal health, salvation of others is important, family issues, protection of our children, hungry and the poor, the grieving. These are all good things. And they tend to monopolize our prayer requests But Jesus begins with this, hallowed be your name. The problem that we have is our sin nature gets involved and we turn towards self and we minimize the greatness of God and we maximize our problems. J.I. Packer says this, were we left to ourselves in praying, we would do both, we would, I'm sorry, Before we left to ourselves, any praying we did would both start and end with ourselves. For our natural self-centeredness knows no bounds. Lesson one is to grasp that God matters infinitely more than we do. I'm not saying that you don't matter. You have been created in the image of God. You have infinite worth because you're created in the image of God. He loves you dearly. He does. But your existence is about God. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says, unfortunately, we often pray first for things that might take us from God. We don't realize that. Friends that might compete for his friendship. Or an ordering of events that might accomplish our plans, but not his. He continues, instead, we must learn to begin our prayers with thoughts of God's honor and the advancement of his purposes in history. Wow, it's a great quote. So listen up. The greatest good for you in this world is for you, um, the greatest good for you is realized as God is glorified. This is hard, right? Because when I read statements like that I just read, it makes God sound like some megalomaniac. It's all about me and me displaying how good I am, how great I am. (laughs) That's not who God is. God can't help but to express himself into our existence as perfect and holy. He can't be any less. He can only express himself that way. And when he does, guess what? 
It's for your greatest good as his child. So for me to say that your existence is for the glory of God is to say that God wants the very best for you in everything, and his best for you is maximized when his glory is manifest into the world. As you hallow the name of God, Another way of saying this is this, the greatest, good for, uh, the greatest good for the world and for you is accomplished as the name of God is hallowed. So as Jesus teaches us how to pray, the master prayer, God in flesh, pray to your Father in heaven, he says. The first request, hallowed be your name. Because this request is the request that shapes every other request. This is the petition that supersedes all other petitions. Everything else that we're going to learn flows from this supplication. We don't want to pray about our silly little empires, and aren't we good at that? No, Kevin DeYoung says it's about God's name, not our name. Is there anything more countercultural than that request? Anything more radical? Anything more freeing? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us how to be countercultural, how to be nonconformist. It's a, it's a manifesto of nonconformity. This is how you glorify God in the world. You pray, and you pray to your Father in heaven, and you pray that his name will be hallowed. Hallowed be the name. So how do you do that? How do you... Hallow God's name in the world. How do we do that as we pray? Albert Muller says this, of course, God's inherent glory does not wax and wane, right? So as we pray for God's name to be hallowed, as we pray for his name to be glorified in the world, we're not adding to the glory of God. We can't do that, right? Again, God is perfect in all of who he is. His perfections never waver. What we do is, is we, in our existence, help the world see more or less, who God is. Amalur says, of course, God's inherent glory does not wax and wane. We cannot add to or take away anything from God's inherent majesty. But his visible and observable glory can be made more or less apparent depending upon our faithfulness. And here's the quote. Faithfulness in the Christian life makes the glory of God go public. How you represent God in the world in obedience... How obedient you are will more or less, if you're less obedient, manifest the glory of God in the world. It will hallow God in the world. So as, as we pray this prayer, as we pray this first request, right, we're praying that the world will know the greatness and the goodness of God in all things. All right, so I have three ways that we're praying as we pray that God's name is hallowed in the world. And the first one is this. The world will know the greatness and the goodness of God. God's name will be hallowed as the church fulfills its mission on the earth. Right? The mission of the church is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Right? So we're making disciples. We're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We're proclaiming Christ into the world. We're praying the glory of the Father into the world. And as people embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
They turn from worshiping idols to worshiping the true and living God. And when you turn from worshiping your petty little empire and all your selfishness to worshiping the true and living God, then you radiate the glory of God into the world. The mission of the church is to bring people into that. Which is why Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So we pray that first request, hallowed be your name. It's not within you to do that. But God is able to do immeasurably more than you can imagine as you sincerely pray, God, hallowed be your name. And he does that according to the power that is work, at work within us. He says at the end of verse 20. And then he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. See, the church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And as we do that, God's name is hallowed because all the nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. We want the world to think rightly about God. And the world is not going to think rightly about God if they are blinded by the God of this world and focused on self. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ if they're going to glorify the name of God. So, Number one, the world will know the greatness and the goodness of God as we pray for his name to be hallowed in and through the mission of the church. Secondly, the world will know the greatness and goodness of God as God accomplishes his work of salvation. I often say that the glory of God is most manifest when a sinner is turned from darkness to light. The glory of the gospel, right? The gospel displays the glory of God because it tells us of his holiness. The gospel tells us of his righteousness. The gospel tells us of his justice. The gospel tells us of his mercy and his grace and his compassion. And all these things, the gospel tells us all of that. So God is glorified simply in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when he transforms a sinner as he shines the light of the gospel into their hearts, then he is glorified immensely. Right, what's the nature of sin? It keeps us from glorifying God. It's the problem with the world. We're all about self-glory. For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. That's how we can define sin. So we're praying that God would be hallowed, his name would be hallowed, that his name would be magnified. Praise God for verse 24. And they're all justified freely by his grace. The glory of his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. The glory of God, his greatness and his goodness manifest in the gospel and the salvation of sinners. But that name is powerful, isn't it? Romans chapter 10. For there's no difference between anybody in the world. I don't care who you are, what background you come from. Paul says Jew and Gentile. I could say from wherever you are in the world. I don't care if you're red and yellow, black and white. There's no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on what? The name of the Lord will be saved. The very act of salvation is calling on the name of God, the great power of God. 
for the forgiveness of sins. If you're this morning and you've never cried out to God for forgiveness of sins, if you know that you're worshiping your petty little empire and you're trying to make much of yourself and you don't give a thought about God, you're offending God. God is offended by your life. His wrath is being poured out upon you. But he loves you so much that he sent his son to take away your sins so that his wrath would be removed so that you can have forgiveness, so that you can be called a child of God. It's calling on the name of the Lord. There's no magic formula. Just cry out to Jesus, save me. Call on the name of the Lord. As God accomplishes his work of redemption, his name is hallowed. His name is also hallowed, hallowed as those who have called upon his name are transformed Right? The Christian life is, begins by calling on the name of the Lord. But as we live the Christian life, there is this constant transformation that occurs as we gaze on the glory of Christ, as we see the greatness of Christ and we hallow His name. We are, we are transformed from glory to glory. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being what transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is His Spirit. H.A. Ironside. The greatest evidence for Christianity is a transformed life and a person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It's life transformation that screams the glory of God to the world and declares His excellencies. God is glorified. His name is hallowed as He accomplishes His work of redemption. And lastly, this one's going to take a minute though, the world will know the greatness and goodness of God as his children grow in the fear of his name. As his children grow in the fear of his name. So fearing God is, it can be somewhat of a confusing topic, right? The scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Is, is, is God somebody we should fear? I mean, we talk about him as our loving Heavenly Father. Should I be afraid of God? What do we mean by we say we should fear the Lord? Well, I think he says here that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So as we grow in our knowledge of God, we, we fear Him, we revere Him, we grow in our respect of who God is because of what He has done, what His Word tells us about Him. And as we read God's Word, as we gain understanding from God's Word about who God is, we begin to fear God. We fear the name of the Lord because He alone is God and there is no other. We fear the name of the Lord because He alone is the maker of heaven and earth. We fear the name of the Lord because He alone is the giver and sustainer of life. We fear the name of the Lord because He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Every breath of your existence is drawn from the gracious hand of God were he to withdraw that hand, your life would cease to exist at that instant. We fear the name of the Lord because he is a consuming fire. We fear the name of the Lord because salvation alone belongs to him. We fear the name of the Lord because before him and him alone, you will have to give an account for your life. There's legitimate fear. 
What was Isaiah's response in Isaiah chapter 6 as he was confronted with a man, just simply a manifestation of the presence of God and the foundations of the temple shook? He threw himself on his face and he said, Woe is me! I am undone! I am sinful! I am a man, I'm among sinful people! He was crying out that for God to spare his life. We are to fear God. You have no life apart from God. You're going to have to give an account for your life one day as you stand before God. So fear the name of God. And as you fear God and grow in your understanding of God, guess what? You begin to love him more and more. And you're not motivated by like, I'm afraid he's going to get me, but by, I deserve that you saved me through your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. And I want my life to be for you and about you to glorify you. I want to obey you because I love you so much. And God's name is hallowed. It's glorified as you do that. So as his children grow in fear of his name, God is hallowed. His name is glorified in the world. And I see this in two different ways. One is in humble submission to prayer. Right? We're talking about prayer. Let me back up a little. I think I skipped one. In humble submission, as God answers prayer. Right, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. This is the first of the requests. And we get down on our knees and cry out to God. We have legitimate requests. As we grow in our fear of the Lord and our knowledge of the Holy One, we learn to humble ourselves before God. Remember, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not learning how to do cosmic arm twisting. We're not learning how to get our way through the right incantation in the name of Jesus. So I get this, right? So somehow we're twisting God's arm to get what we want. No, God is teaching us how to submit to his will so that we execute his will so that his name is hallowed in the earth. Jesus Christ, on the night before he was going to be crucified, praying to God, if this cup can be taken from me, God, please take it. Nevertheless... It's not possible. Not my will, but your will be done. If you're going to be glorified in the world through my brutal execution on the cross, then so be it, God. Glorify yourself through me in that way. That's humble submission to the will of the Father. If Jesus, the Son of God, prays this prayer, how much more should we pray this prayer? So in practically in our own existence, when we pray for a sick loved one who is not healed, but rather dies a painful death, and we yet praise God for his goodness in giving us that person, God's name is hallowed in the world. When you pray for a child that God closes the womb, and yet you praise God for his goodness and greatness, God's name is hallowed. When you pray and pray for that wayward child who never wants to come back to the Lord, and yet you praise God anyway, and you submit to his will, God's name is hallowed. When you pray that God would transform your marriage, but instead of transforming your marriage, he transforms you, God's name is praised and he is hallowed. When you pray for the salvation of those close to you, Yet God does not work to open their heart to receive Jesus. And yet you praise God for his goodness and his greatness. His name is hallowed in the world. So God is hallowed as we submit humbly 
to him in prayer as we submit our wills to his greatness and his goodness. But God is also hallowed as we walk in humble obedience, as we walk in humble obedience to God. 1 Kings 8. Let me go back one here. I had two slides got jumbled together there. 1 Kings 8. Again, this is Solomon in the temple. He's praying for the people, praying for the nation. He says, so that the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. That's God's name being hallowed. There is no other God. And what's a part of that? That your hearts may be fully committed to the Lord to our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. So your obedience matters. The first request Jesus gives us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, please work in my life in such a way that I submit to you in prayer and that I submit to your commands in my life, even though I don't understand why you're commanding this, even though it feels like what I'm about to do is totally against what everything in my heart says, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey you because I want your name to be glorified. I want it to be about you and not about me. As we grow in the fear of the Lord and the Lord, we walk in humble obedience. We submit willingly to God in prayer. And so lastly, as we want God's name to be hallowed, and we pray that his name to be hallowed, would be hallowed, guess what? We know that this is a prayer that God's going to answer with an absolute yes, right? When I talk about prayer, I say that God either says yes or no or not yet. When we pray for God's name to be hallowed, he is going to glorify his name in all things, in all times. It's hard to see in the world that we live in. Habakkuk, the prophet, as he was waiting for the nation of Babylonia to come in and destroy his people, he says, you know what? The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I know what's going to happen. God, you've told me what's going to happen. Good is not coming. Evil is coming. It's going to destroy all that I love, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. It's an absolute yes, because God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. When we pray that God would hallow his name, it is absolutely answered yes, 100% of the time. Now, how that works out all the time, it's a mystery. We know it's an affirmative. We know that God is smiling. We come in and say, God, God, I am, I am struggling. Life is so hard. I don't even know what to pray, God, but you told me to pray that your name would be glorified in my life, in the church, and in the world. God, do that. Transform my heart right now as I pray so that I would accept the answer that comes from your hand, even if it means waiting. 
pray that the world would know the greatness and the goodness of God. This is the request that shapes every other request. This is the petition that supersedes all other petitions. Everything else flows from this supplication. We don't want to pray about our silly little empires. It's about God's name, not our name. Is there anything more countercultural than that request? Anything more radical? Anything more freeing? And the answer is no. It's no. So this morning, again, I'm just praying that if you know that you are living for yourself and you're not giving any thought to God in his glory, then you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. He has open arms. He's ready to embrace you and take you in. Just cry out to him for salvation. You cry out to him because he gave his life for you. He rose from the dead for you. He will save you and he will transform you from worshiping idols in your petty little empire to worshiping the God of the universe and hallowing his name. That's my prayer for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't give a thought to the glory of God in your life, well, here you go. You need to do that. And again, as you pray that prayer, it's going to be an affirmative. Amen? All right, let's pray and we will sing. Uh, just as I am. I, I like this song. Um, I like the version of this song. And when we come to Jesus and our failures, we come just as we are. And God loves us enough to change us. I'm so thankful for that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you.